And uh, thank you, Miss Eileen, for that encouragement. And aren't you glad that Calvary has over and over and over again come through and uh, how good the Lord is always in every circumstance. Matthew chapter 5, when you find your place, if you are able to stand with us, would you stand for the reading of God's word, Matthew chapter 5. I would encourage you to memorize this section of scripture Uh, as a family. This is, uh, I think, a section of scripture that is going to be so needed in the days ahead. And uh, as I have been preparing uh, messages uh, out of this portion of Scripture, I can see more and more why I believe at this time in our history, God has brought me to this place. And uh, here as a church, we need this. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... I thought often, wow, what a privilege to be right there at the feet of Jesus, hearing Jesus preach and teach. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, if you go back with me to verse number 4, I'd like you to read this verse with me. This will be our focus once again this morning and again this evening. Verse number 4, read this with me. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's do that one more time. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'd like us to go to the Lord in prayer, and you pray this morning God's way in this service, and we recognize every time we come to this place, if God does not work and move, it's all in vain. We need the Lord, and we need to hear from heaven today, and so that's our prayer and our desire. Join me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the wonderful promises that you give to us in your precious word, and Lord, we thank you for the focus here this morning, and And just as we've seen that you are a God that is acquainted with grief and you understand the sorrow of heart in a way that even we as men cannot comprehend or understand. Uh, Lord, I pray here this morning, you know every heart, and and we ask this morning that you would minister your word at the point of need. Uh, Lord, there is somebody here today that no doubt an audience this size, uh, they've never truly been born again. And God, I, I know that by your spirit, you're speaking and drawing. And we pray, God, give the courage and grace to surrender. Lord, we pray here this morning, maybe there's somebody going through something, a difficulty in their life, and I thank you that you are the God of all comforts. Lord, there's somebody here today that's under conviction, maybe some things in their life, or whether they're saved or lost, but Lord, you're dealing with them, and I pray that they might be led to the foot of the cross where all source of comfort and blessing is. Lord, have your way, we pray in this service. Help me anoint and bless the preaching in Jesus' precious, wonderful name, amen. And you may be seated this morning. And again, our our focus uh, today, uh, once again, verse number four, blessed 
are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, we've seen the Beatitudes here as attitudes that will lead to a path of revival. I'd like you to skip down to verse number 13 for just a moment. And this is truly the need today, and this is what happens when the children of God will have the attitudes that are expressed in these verses ahead. Uh, verse 13, ye, speaking to those that are saved, to his disciples, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under foot of men. And uh, when God's children are what they ought to be, they're going to be salt. And salt is a preservative uh, to society. Salt is also a flavoring. And I think it's very evident we need some godly people today who can be like the salt spoken of here in the Word of God. In verse number 14, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And once again, when God's children will follow the attitudes set forth before us, uh, we will become as light shining brightly in the midst of a dark world. And no doubt the world about us is very dark and what a need today for bright shining lights. Now, on, I've given this statement several times, gave it yesterday in our men's prayer meeting. Uh, I want to, to give this statement. I think it's going to be such an important statement. It's taken from a poem by Kipling, a poem called If. And in this poem, he states, if you keep your head when others about you are losing theirs and blaming you, then you'll be a man, my son. That is so needed. All about us, people are losing their head. And we need some people that have their head and eyes focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens around us, that we will keep our trust in the Lord. And God said, if you'll keep your head when others about you are losing theirs, you're going to make an impact. You'll be salt. You will be light in the midst of a dark world. Now, a couple of examples in the Word of God, that of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was given a set of difficult circumstances, and yet the Bible says of Daniel that an excellent spirit was found in him. And I believe because Daniel was able to keep his head when everything around him was in a situation of turmoil, uh, Daniel had a powerful impact, and I believe there were kings that were saved because of the witness and testimony of Daniel. Uh, another great example would be that of Joseph, and Joseph betrayed by his own brothers. He was sold into slavery. He faced the false accusations of Potiphar's wife. He was thrown into prison. And yet in the midst of all of that, Joseph kept his focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ, never got bitter at the circumstances, but simply trusted the Lord, and he became the means of deliverance for the nation of Israel as well as for Egypt. And that's what is needed today, some Daniels and some Josephs. I've stated, I think it was our first Sunday of the new year, you better buckle up. And I believe that's still the case. In fact, even more so the case. You better buckle up. There's some rough roads ahead. 2021 always pro are already proving to be very unique. And there are some things at work in our world today 
that are moving in a direction of an antichrist, a global system, and uh, there are events today that are taking place out of our control, and uh, all kinds of information and misinformation and misdirected information, and uh, really the only thing I can tell you is I know the Word of God is true, and I know God is real. And I know God is on the throne. And, and so better buckle up. As God's children, we can have the greatest impact ever. Uh, I believe the Beatitudes will show us how we can be blessed, how we can be happy, how we can be joyful, how we can be salt and light, no matter what takes place around us. This morning, our focus on verse 4. Uh, it's our second time in this passage of Scripture. Blessed are they that mourn. Wednesday night, we, we spoke about the morning of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read from Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 3, speaking of Jesus, a prophecy 700 years before his birth in the manger. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Of Jesus Christ, in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. In verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And in verse number 11, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Now we see through the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that he was truly a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We'll look at this passage in greater detail later this morning. But in Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus looked out over the multitudes, uh, the Bible says he was moved with compassion because they fainted, were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And Jesus looking out over the lost multitudes, his heart moved him, he was grieved, and I believe there were tears of sorrow as Jesus saw the direction of mankind without a Savior heading straight toward the pits of hell. And so he was grieved, he was moved with compassion. We know in John chapter 11 uh, that by the grave or the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus, the Bible says that he wept or Jesus wept. He was a man of sorrows. He felt the pain of those by the graveside who were mourning and grieving over the loss of their loved one. And near the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible speaks, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, how often I've longed to gather thee under my arms as a hen gathers her chicks, and you would not. And then Jesus gave the prophecy that Jerusalem would soon face destruction and the temple would be destroyed. And of course that happened, we know, in 70 A.D. with the Roman armies that came against the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus was moved with compassion because he saw the direction of this city that had rejected his first coming. And then we know in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus sweated, as it were, drops of blood. There was agony upon the Lord Jesus Christ as, as really the weight of the sin of the world was beginning to be placed upon the Lord Jesus. And he said, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And uh, he surrendered himself to the will of his Father. And then we come to the cross and he faced tremendous 
anguish of soul at the cross. I don't believe we can ever comprehend or understand all that our Jesus went through in paying the debt for our sin. How the weight of the sin of the world was placed upon him. And you can take your life and maybe the most guilty feeling that you've ever known or maybe that thing that you knew you should not have done and to understand that Jesus died for that and that that guilt and that shame was placed upon him. And for the first time in all the history of the world, God the Father turned his back on God the Son and Jesus from the cross cried, Uh, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The anguish of sin and of the world was placed upon Jesus Christ. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He did it for us that we might be free. The Bible says he bore our sorrow. He bore our iniquity. He died for our victory. Now this morning, I want to take our focus personally in our lives. You see, when Christ comes into the heart of an individual, he begins to mold that life into the image of Jesus Christ. There will be times that his morning becomes our morning. And that morning that the Lord puts upon us really leads us to the comfort of heart that only Christ can give. You see, that, that morning can lead to a heaven-sent revival. Uh, you ladies that have given birth, you know that that time of childbirth is a time of pain. It's a time of travail. It's sometimes a time of mourning. But afterwards comes the joy. Afterwards comes the comfort of that child, that new birth that comes into the world. And and, uh, that's such a, I believe, a beautiful picture uh, of sometimes what happens in our life, the travail of heart, the travail of soul that Christ experienced that sometimes he puts upon the heart of his children. And this becomes a path that leads us toward revival. Now, let's break this morning down into several different categories here today. Uh, Speak, first of all, of mourning that comes from the conviction for sin. See, when the Holy Spirit convicts an individual of sin and of judgment, that brings sorrow, that brings anguish of heart. Before I was saved, there was that conviction. I, I would go to bed at night and I would cry. I would weep. I was afraid to die. I was under conviction. I knew that I was a sinner and and, and I tried to do my best, but the harder I tried to do good, the worse I got. And, And there was that conviction in the heart that the Holy Spirit brought to my heart. That conviction is designed to lead one to genuine repentance and to genuine conversion. Now the scripture verifies this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Uh, we can see the sorrow of the world, uh, that was Judas Iscariot. You see, Judas Iscariot, uh, realizing he had betrayed the Lord, was sorrowful in his heart, but he never repented. He never turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the sorrow of the world. Uh, God designs the conviction to bring us to Jesus. Now, if you take your Bibles to the Gospel of John for just a second, John chapter 16, 
John chapter 16, you see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse number 7, John 16, verse 7, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you or necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and see me, you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. Now the Bible teaches here the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, is here first of all a ministry of conviction and, and before one will be saved or truly born again the Holy Spirit convicts the lost one of sin uh, and of their, of their separation from God and uh, of righteousness and the righteousness that comes only from Jesus and of judgment uh, that Jesus judged was judged on our behalf and he paid the debt that we owe and if we reject that of the judgment that we would face and that's the conviction. Now let me just make a statement here I think is so crucial. See there are many false conversions because there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. See, salvation is not a head knowledge. Salvation is not praying a prayer. But salvation is a miracle that only God can work in a heart and a life. Now, as we look at this, and we're coming to days ahead, friends, I said you better buckle up. You better know that you know that you're born again. You better know that you're saved. You better know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You better know that Jesus is real in your life. Uh, you better know that it's not religion that you have, but it's a relationship with a personal Savior that died in your place. And you better get that settled. It's the Spirit of God that brings conviction. That's not comfortable. You say, I, I was baptized in fourth grade, but I was lost. And the Spirit of God began to bring conviction to my heart. And that's not comfortable. That's travail. I did not want to admit it. And yet that was so necessary to come to the comfort and the peace of genuine salvation. Now there are many examples of Bible conviction that leads to salvation. Take your Bibles to the book of Acts. For just a moment, Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, in verse number 21, Acts 2 verse 21, as Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, you'll notice the boldness of Peter. He's dealing with sin. In verse number 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved to God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And boldly Peter dealt with the very heart. You crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. It was your sin that put him to the cross. In verse 37, 
It's not comfortable, but it's necessary. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They're convicted. They said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? This was the conviction that led them to salvation and to the peace of God in their heart. If you'll turn forward to the book of Acts chapter 16, we could give you multitudes of examples for the sake of time. Just give you a couple this morning. In Acts chapter 16, we know the story. Paul and Silas have been arrested for the preaching of the gospel. They're in a Philippian jail cell. At the midnight hour, love the story. They begin to sing praises unto the Lord. God worked a miracle. There was an earthquake. The Bible tells us that uh, the prisoners were set free. And uh, here is the keeper of the prison. Read with me beginning at verse number 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. And see, for a Roman guard, a prisoner or a guard, uh, to let the prisoner go, it was a death sentence. So he was going to take his own life. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Notice this conviction. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's under conviction. He's lost and he knows it. See, that's not a comfortable thing to deal with, but it is necessary to face that conviction of God's Spirit. Paul preached the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And it's evident that the jailer came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In the temple, there was a Pharisee and a publican. The Pharisee looked at the publican and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man. And he basically listed off his credentials. I go to church, I do this, I do that. And aren't I a pretty good person? But the Bible speaks of the publican under conviction. He would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but he cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was under conviction. And that conviction is what drew him to salvation. And Jesus said, I I tell you, this this man who was pleased with himself, he went out of the temple a lost man, uh, but that publican who under conviction was turned to God and the mercy of the Lord found the mercy and grace of the Lord for salvation. The comfort that only God can give out of that morning. We so need this across America. There have been times in history when God has worked mightily in conviction and in salvation. Love to read the accounts of revival, the first great awakening in American history. A couple of preachers, well-known, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. It was often said as they preached that audiences would fall under conviction. It was said as Jonathan Edwards preached his now famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, uh, that there was such conviction that men and women grabbed the pillars of the church afraid that at any moment uh, they would die and face hell. But it was that conviction that led them to the peace that only Jesus can bring. 1858, 1859, across the eastern part of the United States, it was said that one in ten Americans was converted to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But you read the testimony, there was tremendous conviction that came ahead of that conversion. 
I was reading the testimony of a preacher of, of centuries back, Thomas Collins. He was describing a meeting where he was preaching, and here's the testimony of one of the converts in that meeting. This convert said cries for mercy rang out all over the chapel. Before the sermon was done, I with many others fell upon my knees to implore salvation. And then Thomas Collins writes of this particular meeting, the sermon was swallowed up in victory. Seekers left their pews and trooping unbidden up the aisles knelt around the communion rail where they found peace with God. I witnessed conviction in the lives of many. I witnessed it in my own life. I've seen the results, the gospel, and the conviction that it produces. I think of the couple that after going through the word of God, looked at me and with tears, Pastor, how can we be saved? How can we have peace? How can we be free? And that opens the door for the gospel that sets men free, for the comfort that only God can give. So the conviction of sin, that's a sorrowful thing. Now, beyond salvation, after salvation, the Spirit of God convicts the heart of a saved person concerning sin. Say, I don't believe a true child of God can live in sin and have comfort in that over a period of time. God brings conviction. It's sin that keeps us from the victorious Christian life. And really, it's sin that keeps the child of God in a half-dead, powerless position. And a saved person can never lose the salvation of the Lord. That's secure. A saved person can never lose uh, the, the home in heaven, but a saved person can lose the joy and the power of salvation. And so when God uh, draws us to Him, often there's conviction and mourning that leads to God's comfort. Now, turn your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4. After the book of Hebrews, I think this is so well expressed. And again, this is such a needed aspect today. James chapter 4 verse 6 reads, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then the Lord says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. This is always the path of revival. It begins with a conviction, with a mourning for sin. Psalm 51, David was a saved man. But we know that David had fallen into sin. And David lost the joy of his salvation. And he prayed in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and renew within me a right spirit. But you read the conviction, and David cried out to the Lord, I believe with tears, with brokenness, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And so David prayed under deep conviction, but it was that conviction that led David again to the victorious Christian life. Peter denied the Lord three times. He said, Lord, Lord, I'll die for you before I deny you. But he denied the Lord. And, and then as the Lord was betrayed and that night a kangaroo trial, the Bible tells us as Peter is warming himself, he looked out and the Lord looked into the eyes of Peter. 
And the Bible tells us that Peter went out and wept bitterly. There was mourning. It was true repentance. But it was that mourning and that repentance that led Peter to the victory on the day of Pentecost when he preached and 3,000 souls were saved. Mighty movements of God always begin with deep conviction of sin. Deep conviction amongst the saved. Mourning, weeping, leading to true repentance, to forgiveness, to, free, to freedom. I've told story after story. I love to read of revivals. The, the Hebrides revival off the coast of Scotland, 1950. Seven men gathered several times a week to pray. It was as they were praying, one man opened his Bible one night to Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That man, suddenly under conviction, began to cry out. and said, Lord, my hands are not clean. My heart is not pure. And then that man was led to the foot of the cross and to the blood of Christ really began a movement of God where thousands came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It started with mourning, with conviction. We could go on and on with examples. May God stir our hearts. There's mourning that comes from a conviction for sin. Now let's give a, a second thought about mourning. There's mourning that comes from a concern for a particular situation. Uh, let's look at some Bible examples. Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 1. Nehemiah chapter 1 in the, in the Old Testament. We could give, again, multitudes of illustrations, examples. In Nehemiah chapter 1, let's begin here, verse number 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hagaliah. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And so uh, Nehemiah has received some information that breaks his heart. In verse number 4, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was broken. He heard the situation. He had a deep concern. Have you ever heard information or news that broke your heart? That's where Nehemiah was. He confessed the sins of his people. He begged God to intervene. And we know the story how God sent Nehemiah then to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Many are grieved and broken for our nation, and we ought to be. And there's confusion, accusations, and deceptions. And I think hearing the news ought to be taken back to what's happening here in Nehemiah and throughout the Word of God and ought to lead the children of God to a mourning, as it did in the life of Nehemiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He grieved over Judah. He wrote in Jeremiah chapter 2, Hath the nation changed their gods, which are yet not gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit? 
Jeremiah wrote, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And, and Jeremiah could foresee the judgment of God upon his nation, upon the land of Judah. And it broke his heart, and he wept. Daniel was troubled in his heart. For the sake of time, I won't look up these passages, but in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel troubled. He began to fast. He began to pray. Uh, he looked to the future, what would happen uh, to the nation of Israel. And interestingly, Daniel was looking to the very days that we're living in. And he saw the heartbreak in his nation. And it caused Daniel to fast and to mourn and to pray. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 9. And then in Daniel chapter 10, uh, the mourning of Daniel concerning the situation. Here's my prayer. May God stir our hearts for our nation, for our times. I don't know when Christ is going to come. I think it's going to be soon. I think we're going to hear the trumpet sounding very soon. What if it were today? But friend, what if it were not today? What if it's still down the line? We don't know. But what if it were today? What about those that are left behind? What about your friends and relatives and those co-workers of yours? Does that stir your heart? Does it bother you that they'll be left behind to face the tribulation? That ought to lead us to mourning. There's mourning that comes from a concern for a situation. And that leads us into this third thought. There's mourning that comes from a compassion for sinners. That was the mourning of Christ. God's Spirit often stirs the heart of God's people for a lost world. I mentioned to you previously Matthew chapter 9, where the Lord Jesus Christ was moved with compassion when He saw the multitudes. And it says, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And then He says, it's like a harvest without a harvester, a harvest that is wasting away. And it was that compassion for the lost that moved Christ and took Him to the cross. And I believe today God is looking for some men and women and boys and girls that can stand in the gap. And, and Lord, as you look at Ezekiel chapter 22, and again, I'll just throw some thoughts out. In Ezekiel 22, the preachers of the land had failed. And then the politicians of the land had failed. And then the people of the land had failed. And the only hope was that someone would hear God's call and rise up to that call with a burden. And the Bible speaks of a man that would stand in the gap, one that would take a hold of the hand of God, and one that would take a hold of, of a lost world, and one that would bring the two together. And, and that would take compassion to move in the direction. And, and as Ezekiel looked at the situation, he said, I, I saw the land all about me, and, and the Lord was looking for one to stand in the gap, but there was none. Oh, that God would stir our hearts with weeping and mourning travail of soul for people to be saved. I think of Paul the Apostle. Paul was stirred for his people. I don't understand this uh, to the depth that Paul expressed this morning. He said, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul said, I, I have such a burden for the lost of Israel that I'd be willing to die and go to hell if they would be saved. I, I can't comprehend that, but that was the compassion and the depths of the heart of Paul that moved. 
See, God is seeking those that will carry a burden for the lost and be willing to bring the lost to the foot of the cross. I read this testimony again this week. It's often stirred my heart. It's a preacher of bygone years, John Smith. His testimony or a testimony of one telling of him said, I've often seen him come downstairs in the morning after spending several hours in prayer with his eyes swollen and weeping. He would soon introduce the subject of his anxiety by saying, I'm a broken-hearted man. Yes, indeed, I'm an unhappy man, not for myself, but on account of others. And he said, God has given me such a sight of the value of precious souls that I cannot live if souls are not saved. Oh, give me souls or else I die. That was the heart of compassion. I've read the testimony and my heart has been stirred of David Brainerd who had such a burden for the Native Americans in the northeastern part of the United States. It was said of David Brainerd that the burden was often so heavy that he would ride his horse in the midst of a snowstorm heading towards another village. And he would come under such travail of soul that he would fall from his horse and out in the middle of nowhere begin to weep and cry for the souls of those that he would soon uh, have an opportunity to preach to. It was stated on one occasion that there was such a travail of soul that the snow about two feet in diameter or circumference around him melted just as he poured his heart out before the Lord. I've often known parents and grandparents so burdened for a wayward child or grandchild that they were under that conviction fasting and praying and begging God and then to see in answer to that prayer how God miraculously intervened. Mothers, again, you understand before birth there's travail, there's pain, there's sorrow that led to the birth and then the joy of a precious life. And may God give us this travail of soul that leads to true conversion. I read the testimony of Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China. Hudson Taylor at the age of 17, not yet saved. His mother away in another town one day came under such a burden for her son that she had to find a room separate from everybody around her. And there in that room for hours she poured her heart out to God for her son Hudson. And it was said that while that mother was praying, God began to stir in the heart of Hudson who had no idea that his mom was praying. But God began to stir in his heart. He picked up a book in their living room and that book brought some of his heart or his attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Hudson was gloriously converted. Interestingly, his mom was praying, God gave her peace that her son would be saved. And as God gave that peace at that very moment, Hudson was crying out to Jesus and finding the peace of God. Oh, may God give us that travail of soul that leads to conversion. Mourning that comes from a compassion for sinners. There's mourning that, that leads to this cry of supplication very quickly. Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, and I've got to move through these next thoughts very quickly. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 26, we read, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And this speaks of, of God stirring the hearts in such a way as God moves in the heart, and sometimes not even knowing what we should pray or how we should pray. I, I can identify one night God put upon the heart of, of, of my heart a friend, and I, I could not sleep, and all I could do, my friend, was a burden to my heart, and I began to pray that night. I discovered later that that very night, God had brought a soul winner to my friend, and he called on the name of Jesus Christ. Many of you might remember as we supported Brother David Fox and his family. And uh, there was a particular night, I think I'd called some of you, and I said, I don't know why or what's going on, but we need to pray for Brother Fox. And what we discovered is that very night, uh, there were uh, some kidnappers that had come and firing guns toward his home, and uh, his family was hunkered down in the home at that time. And I believe God stirred the heart of this church to pray at that time for Brother Fox. See, that's the movement, that's the work, that's the morning sometimes that comes that leads us into a spirit of prayer. We had a preacher here who told the account he was on a missions trip, I think somewhere in Africa, took several college students with him. And he said as they were on this uh, particular trip, they were uh, going out into the uh, boonies uh, somewhere in Africa, rough roads. And uh, while they're driving along, that one of the young men fell out of the vehicle, and the vehicle ran over him right over his head. But what was happening back home at that very moment, God stirred the heart of his mother, who did not know the situation, but was burdened for her son. And she began to pray and had the peace that God would protect her boy. It was said that the area where he fell was very sandy, and it smashed his head into the sand. He said all he got was a bad headache, but he was okay because mom was at home praying. See, that's the stirring that we need in our hearts today. Mourning that will lead to the comfort of God. Now, there's mourning that comes from a cause of sorrow, and sometimes life brings us heartbreak and pain and hurt and disappointments and grief and loss of loved ones, and we grieve when when God takes a loved one and Abraham wept at the, uh, at the grave of his wife Sarah, we hurt when somebody hurts us and like David betrayed by Saul and then by Hithophel and by his own son Absalom and we see the grief and the pain of God's uh, heart, David's heart and in a sinful world we cannot escape sorrow. But I'm very grateful here this morning that of the Lord Jesus Christ, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And what the Bible says in Matthew 5, verse number 4, that God will comfort those that mourn. And in our mourning, if we will turn to the Lord, we can have His presence and we have His Spirit and we have His Word and His promises and we don't grieve as a lost world as others that have no hope. And we'll give more detail about that tonight. But here's what I want us to see this morning is God wants His children sometimes to carry the heart of Jesus. The world doesn't understand this. So the world is looking for pleasures and joys and happiness and all the wrong places. But you know the true victory? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's mourning that comes from conviction for sin. There's mourning that comes from a concern for a particular situation. There's mourning that comes from a compassion for sinners. 
There's mourning that leads to a cry of supplication. There's mourning that has a cause that leads to sorrow. But God is the comforter for those who mourn. He's the God that gives victory. In our mourning, God brings to true conversion, to true repentance, to true victory, to true answers to prayer, to God's comforts. That's why the Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I, I think it's so evident. We need revival in America. We need revival in our churches. We need the power of God. And I believe if God's children will follow these attitudes, that we can see the most powerful movement of God that we've ever experienced in our life. No matter what happens, we can have the touch of the Lord. We can have the victory that only God gives. I want to leave that thought this morning with every head bowed.